All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this night to be together. Thank you for uh, the book of Samuel, and thank you for this particular text um, where we're looking at tonight, um, where it is the covenant that you made with David, and how um, and what it teaches us about this idea of glory, and where we find our glory, our boast, our fame, um, and how we find it not in what we have accomplished, um, or who we're attached to in this life, uh, but it's uh, is that we are um, known uh, by you, and uh, we pray that you help us to apply this to our lives, so that we could walk with you more fully in all that we do. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So yeah, we're looking at this uh, tonight. We're looking at this theme uh, of glory in the upside down. What is what is what is what is the concept of glory? And I know that a lot of you probably don't use this language in your day to day life. You've never probably used the term, I gloried in this, or I gloried in that, or I gave glory to this thing, or I sought after my own glory. Um, so that the language of glory may be kind of foreign to you, um, but the concept of glory, and what it means to glory in something, and what it means to find your glory, um, find your fame, find your importance, to find your worth, find your dignity, that's in everything that you do. Um, most of our actions are governed around this concept of glory. Uh, we're either seeking our own fame or we're, we're looking to give our fame to someone else. We're seeking to be important or seeking to make someone else look important. So tonight we're going to look at what is glory? How do we think about the concept of glory and the upside down kingdom of God? And in order for us to properly define glory, we have to look at the opposite. And the opposite of glory is shame. And I don't know what you guys think of when you think of shame. I, I love to talk about shame. I think um, it's one of the central themes uh, of our fallen selves. Is this concept that we have this looming, ever-present uh, doubt. We have this looming, ever-present wonder of what's wrong with me. Um, when Adam and Eve were without sin, uh, the Bible calls them naked and unashamed. So uh, the concept of shame uh, was... was um, or, or, or the presence of shame was, was not in place. And then the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they, when they sinned against God is that they hid in their shame. So, so glory, in, in, by definition, is the absence of shame. And shame, by definition, is the absence of glory. So in order for us to understand glory, you have to understand shame. And if you were just to look up on the internet, you know, what is shame? I, I love this definition. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by... Uh, wrong or foolish behavior, right? Um, she was hot with shame, right? We all have done stuff before. We felt embarrassed or we felt stupid or um, we felt like we, um, um, this concept of being exposed, right? That is what shame is. Um, a loss of respect or esteem, uh, right? The concept of dishonor. Um, um, a regrettable or unfortunate action, a person, action, or situation that brings a loss of respect or honor, right? Shame is this concept, this idea, like I said, that there is something wrong. So therefore, glory is the opposite. It is something of, of what uh, this definition says, um, high rena- renown or honor won by notable achievements, right? So uh, to, to bring shame to, to, to yourself is to do something regrettable, to do something dishonorable, um, and you bring dishonor upon yourself, and people uh, wonder, you know, what, what's wrong with you? Why would you do something like that? Sh- glory is the opposite. It's to bring uh, renown, respect, no- notability. Um, it's to boast. It's to, it's to have honor, dignity. Um, 
The second one, magnificence or great beauty, to take great pride or pleasure in something. So um, glory is this, this idea of esteem. And to glory in something is to boast in something. It's to find our worth, our dignity, um, our self-respect. So, so, so this concept of glory, like I said, is everywhere. And it's in everything that we do. And it's, and it's a central thing in the story of, of Scripture. And, and quite often in our lives, you know, we find glory, we find our own esteem in, in three places, is what I, what I believe. The glory of association, right? Um, the glory, finding glory or self-esteem and who we're connected to. Um, I've, I've mentioned this before, but a, bunch, a few years back in the 2016 election, uh, then-presidential um, candidate Hillary Clinton, there was a, there was a picture taken of her taking a picture, um, and it was, it was spread all over the internet, and, and I think it gives a good concept of what it means, the, this idea of glory of attachment. So if you can imagine, it was like if I was her, she, and you were guys were the people that were in the audience, she, uh, she was turned around, and, or she was up on a, on a podium, and everybody was turned around, and they, everybody was taking a selfie with Hillary Clinton to say, like, look who, I've, look who I'm attached to, look who I'm connected to, right, to post on social media, and to demonstrate uh, the fame or the esteem or the glory of attachment, right? Uh, people felt worthy or worthwhile or they gloried in the, rea- the fact that they had a picture taken with Hillary Clinton. Do you guys see that concept? We all do that in some way, shape, or form. I do that often, right? I, um, I barely know the owner of the Reds. My, my grandpa worked for him for 50 years, but I tell people that I know him. But I really don't know him. He really doesn't know me but because I'm a victim of the glory of attachment, right? I feel like if, if I attach myself to the owner of the Reds, um, I'm, I'm worthwhile and I'm somebody, right? But he doesn't know me from anybody, but he, doesn't know, he didn't know my grandpa, but does that make sense, right? So that's the glory of association. That's how a lot of times we think about glory. And then there's the glory of accomplishment, right? The glory in what you have done. And, you know, Tom Brady, in my opinion, is the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, I'm not an, a sports expert. He's at least the most celebrated uh, and the, most, um, uh, the highest achieved uh, he's got, I don't know what now, seven Super Bowls, anybody know? Right? And he was quoted, I think after he won the third Super Bowl, he said, so what are you, gonna, you, know, you won your third Super Bowl, what's, what are you going to do now? He's like, win a fourth one, right? So this, this concept of the, we can boast in our achievements, right? You guys will and have achieved some great things, and it's good to boast in that. But the reality is the glory of our achievement, what happens is that we're never fully satisfied. There's always more to accomplish there's always people who have accomplished more that make us look more, um, less glorified, and so on. And then there's the glory of self-sacrifice, um, glorying in what you have given up. And this is a little less celebrated, um, but you know, I think of a movie that's called Glory that um, depicts um, a regiment, an African-American regiment in the Civil War um, that gave up uh, their lives um, so that um, uh, African Americans uh, did no longer have to live in slavery, right? So um, they were part of a bigger, a bigger picture of that. The glory of self-sacrifice, they gave, gave their lives for the flourishing of others, right? So um, there's the glory of self-sacrifice, and, 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 um, and the, there's beauty in that, and there's glory in that. Uh, but often what we see is that the stories of glory often become forgotten as generations move on and move forward. Because has anybody ever heard of the movie Glory before? Or the, yeah, a few. Do anybody remember the name of the regiment? I think it has a number anyway. Um, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really spectacular, true story. Um, anyway, 
But so that, that's how we think about glory often in this life. And here's what I want you guys to know is that glory in the upside down kingdom of God means that we do these things not to make our name great, but to make, um, to make God's name great. And it's not to make ourselves famous, but to make God's name famous. So we don't self-sacrifice and, and, and have the glory of self-sacrifice so that we can make our names great, but it's so that we can make God's name great. It's no, not that we find our glory in who we associate with, the school that we're a part of, the sports team that we're on, or whatever it is you look to to find your glory of association. Is that your primary sense of, of, of worth, dignity, and esteem come from the reality that, that God calls you his son or daughter, right? That's the glory of association and the upside down. And the glory of accomplishment is not where you boast in your own works or your own take pride in your own accomplishment, but you, but you humbly realize that all good things come from God and from your salvation to your health to your intellectual abilities to your relational capacities, whatever it may be, that all good things come from God and He is your boast and He is your glory. And that's what we find when we, when we, when we read what we're about to read in 2 Samuel 7, 1-17. through 17, In that because God is our glory, He is the one that we boast in. He is the relationship that we find our ultimate sense of purpose and meaning and esteem. Because of that, we're called to make His name great and not our own name or the names of our family, or the names of our associations, or whatever it may be. Because God is our glory, we're called to make His name great. So let's read this together uh, in verse 1. So now, uh, and when the king, and that king is David, so uh, we, we, we jumped a whole bunch of, bunch of chapters from our last talk. And basically what has happened is David fought off Goliath, and he fought off the Philistines, and the, the king at that time was a guy named Saul, who was evil and terrible, and he didn't like that David found all this success, and that, um, and that he sinned against God, and Saul, and God rejects Saul and made David king. Uh, so he's trying. He he spends a good like ten chapters at the end of Samuel trying to, to find David and kill him. And he goes and he uh, you know uh, he chases David off and catches up to him. And then David uh, has an opportunity to kill him, but David doesn't kill him. And he lets him. He spares his life. And then Saul comes back again, tries to capture David, kill David, and and take over his throne. But he doesn't. David has a chance to kill Saul, but he doesn't. And then he lets him go. And then Saul um, uh, does this thing uh, where he inquires uh, from a medium or a witch, the witch in Endor, uh, to hear from God. And um, there's a prophecy that, that he will die. And sure enough, he does. He dies. He dies in battle. And uh, so do his sons. So not only is Saul dead, but also his lineage. And now Israel... Uh, David is the true king in Israel, and he experiences some time of prosperity, and he experiences some time of health and peace in the land, and uh, things are going well. And then God visits David and makes a covenant with him, and that's what we have in, in what we're reading. So now when the king lived in the house, in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, uh, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So what's, what does this mean? So uh, uh, the ark of God um, was, a, was, was something that the, the nation of Israel had that represented God's presence. And David had a real house that he lived in as the king. And he, um, uh, he didn't want to outdo God, so to speak. So he wanted to build a house for God that was better than the house that he lived in, right? So he says, hey, what's, you know, why do I live in this really nice house and the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, why is that just in this tent sitting 
and, and around. So he inquires a prophet to, to, to see what, what he's supposed to do. And then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And it says this in verse 4, With that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. So what's going on here is that Nathan had a suggestion, but that wasn't a suggestion of the Lord. So the Lord comes to Nathan and says, Hey, you said these things to David, but let me, let me shoot you straight. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? So he's saying here, you know, um, It's great and wonderful that you want to build me a house, but I don't need a house. I'm the Lord. I'm not bound by houses. And, and by house, he doesn't mean, you know, a house with a front door and a front porch. He's talking about a temple, right? Uh, which, which will be later built by Solomon. He's not just talking about like a... He's talking about a house of worship, a place where God is glorified. And, and in verse 6 it says this, uh, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. So there's this beautiful picture of God, the way that God acts. He often rescues his people and dwells with them. Rescues his people and dwells with them. Rescues his people and dwells with them. And what's cool about when God rescues his people from Egypt is that they were nomads. They were going from one place to the next. And God, while he was with his people, he dwelled with them in tents, right? So he went with his people. In the same way you see the the life of Jesus, he visits, he saves, he dwells uh, with them. So in verse 7 says, In all places where I moved with all the people of Israel, that I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time I have appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I will put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So so what's going on here? Well, there's, there is this... Uh, love that David has for God. There is, uh, you know, in, in 1 Samuel, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, David found favor in the eyes of the Lord, not because he was special, but because God, um, not that he did anything special, but because God's steadfast love was on him and that he was, he was God's chosen servant. And because of this, he has this zealousness to serve God. And it makes sense, right? He says, I have this nice house. Why, why, not, why don't I build a temple for God so that he dwells in? And he says to me, oh, you, you know, you don't get it, David. Uh, I'm God, the king of heaven and the earth. Um, I don't need a house to dwell in, um, but I will, you, you want to build a house for me, I actually will build your house, and I will establish your kingdom. You will not establish my kingdom. 
and I will establish your name and make your name great, and I will give you, I will establish your kingdom forever. So, so there is this idea of that David longed to, to, to share the glory of God, which is a, a great and wonderful thing, and, and, but, but God says to David, no, I actually will establish your glory, and your glory will not come from um, your own works and your own ability to glorify my name at, with, with perfect tongues or perfect actions, but because of what? My steadfast love for you. So the reality for us today is that where do we find our boast? Where do we find our glory? Is it in the righteous things that we do for God, right? Is it, is it the, 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 the things that you do to um, build God's house, you know, metaphorically? No, but even though those things are wonderful and admirable, it's in the reality that God sees you and that God's steadfast love is on you and that because of Christ and because of His salvation for you, that His steadfast love will never depart from you and that it will never leave you, just like the promise that was true for David is also true for you. So, so what do we do with this, right? What do we do with this story, this, 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 uh, this, this um, covenant that, that God makes with David? Well, going back to what I talked to before, glory in the upside down, right? This idea of the glory of association and the beauty of knowing God, right? There's, in 2 Samuel 7, 15, it says, But my steadfast love will not depart from him. Right? There is this, there's this beauty, not that in our association to God, but in what? His association to us. And that His steadfast love will never depart us. And that the beauty of that we are a people who get to know the true and living God, right? If you were to get to know, who, who just shout out, who's the most famous person you know? You, you can think of. Who? Caden Davis. Davis. Don't know who that is. Justin Bieber. Who's the most famous person you can think of? Michael Jordan. Eric Schrimmel. What's his face? He's the most important person you can know. So just imagine if you, you associated with what's his face. Jesus, right? No, seriously. Like, like um, Donald Trump, right? Uh, like, seriously. Like, what if, what if whoever the most famous person you could think of what if they came to you and, 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 and they associated themselves with you, all right? Well, the God of heaven and earth associates with you, right? And that's, that's where we find our glory. We can boast in the fact that God knows us, right? And He sees us and He saves us. The second one, the glory of accomplishment and building God's kingdom, right? We, um, God says that, that the, in 2 Samuel 13... That the son of David shall build a house for his name. And there's an immediate prophecy there in the reality that his son will come named Solomon who will build the temple. But there's also an ultimate prophecy because Christ will be born uh, by the Holy Spirit through the lineage of David. And he will build God's true spiritual house, which is called the church. God's people, right? Um, in, in which God's spirit would dwell, Right? So, so we as God's people, we glory in God's accomplishment on our behalf, don't we? That He accomplished salvation on our behalf and that we don't have to work and try hard because we'll never accomplish, we'll never be enough. God bridges our shame and gives us His glory. And the last one, the glory of self-sacrifice and the boast of God's salvation. 2 Samuel 7.14 says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the Son of Man. 
And the reality here is that David would commit sin. And we'll actually talk about that next week. What, what, he, what happens to David after this promise. Uh, his son will fall and the kingdom will be split because of his sin. And every king after David will fail to live out God's covenant perfectly. Until Christ comes, who is the perfect David and who lives the perfect life. But here's the thing, is that even though Jesus did not commit iniquity, he was disciplined, right? With the rod of men and with stripes, right? He was beaten, he was bruised, he hung on the cross, the perfect man, the perfect God, perfect God-man. He, he absorbs the discipline uh, that we deserve, and we receive the glory that he has. And that's the glory of, of Christ's self-sacrifice. And that, that is what we, as Christ's followers, boast in. We don't boast in our work. We don't boast in our sufferings. We don't boast in whatever it may be, our intellect, our possessions, our material wealth. But we boast in God's self-sacrificial, covenantal, steadfast love that He has for us. So, in summary, because God is our glory... He is the one that we glory in. John Piper is a pastor. He's retired now. He says, God is most glorified in us. We are most satisfied in Him because He is our ultimate joy, because He is our ultimate satisfaction. We are called, because of that reality, to make His name great in all that we do with all that we have. So I'll pray for us, and uh, then you can go to your small groups, break out to your small groups, and talk a little bit more intimately about how you guys... uh, 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 can apply this this passage to your life. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the testimony of David. Thank you for your steadfast love um, that does not depart from us. And Father, I do pray, um, just as we go to our breakout groups, that you'd be with us, that you would help us uh, focus in on um, how you, the great covenant-keeping God, um, uh, uh, how we are to glorify your name with all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.